Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Well, here we are on a midsummer June Monday. And how are you, Michael? I'm very well, thank you. And joining us on Patreon this week, we have the lovely Janet and Irina. So welcome. Yes, welcome to both of you. Thank you very much. I'm on a little holiday this week, which has been lovely, but very hot. How are you? Uh, Pretty well, thank you. Yes, where I am, the weather has taken yet another objectionable turn. And it's now sort of, well, the sky is clearing outside, but there is a sense, uh, as always, with the advent of the Wimbledon tennis tournament, that the weather is about to do a two-week sulk. So uh, I've had to factor that into my mood, but I'm generally upbeat. I'm very pleased with the conversation that we're about to... We occasionally use the word unleash. Should we give that another go? Yes, we're going to unleash Jess Foster Q. I'm just going to have this cough. Yeah, have the cough. <laughs> have the cough. <clears throat> I knew it was there. Well, that was a good one. Thank you. Very tickly. <laughs> you delivered. I really brought that home. I like your headphones. I like how you have one ear on and one ear off, like you're like a DJ in a booth. I absolutely hate to have both ears covered like by a hat or anything it's a terrible time of life for me (laughs) everyone's covering everything up and rightly so you wouldn't wear a balaclava even if you were doing a bank raid for example oh she would she'd just cut ear holes perhaps yeah I'd have my ears out of it I'll have pob ears out (laughs) (laughs) we've actually literally just spoken to Jess we're recording this immediately afterwards and it was really far-ranging and really fascinating and wonderful to have yet another new perspective to add to our plethora of perspectives. Yeah, we're still relatively liked on assigned female at birth guests in the history of the podcast, uh, but we're experimenting all the time. And uh, Jess has got quite a lot to talk about that we haven't heard much about before, as well as being a friend of both of ours and someone we really admire. So a, a warm chat, this one, I think. Yeah, enjoy it. Hello, I'm Mark Watson. I'm joined by, it's ungenerous to say I'm joined by, I have this joint enterprise with Michael Chakraverty. Thank you. And uh, today we are fortunate to be, now this is the correct phrase, joined by a guest who we've just been saying is a considerably more seasoned podcaster than we are. It's Jess Fosterkew. Hi, Jess. Hello. Hi. Do you prefer Jess or Jessica these days? Because I've seen a little bit of both from you over the past year, I have to say. Yeah, it's inconsistent, isn't it? Terrible branding. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> oh, very difficult. I'm lucky to be called Mark, so I've got no decisions to make. Yeah. But I feel like maybe this is the moment for you to tie it down. What do we think about Jay Foss? Oh, Jay Foss is nice. Jay yeah. Foss is nice. Well, I definitely want you two to call me Jess. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I thought so. Well, Jess, it is then. Would you like to actually, now we've established your sort of name issues, would you like to say a bit about who you are other than a person with sort of rapidly flitting identity <laughs> <laughs> flimsy identity um i am jess foster a comedian and writer and actor and podcaster <laughs> too many things very good comedian if i may say so a lot of people listening will have, have seen that for themselves that's kind and a very good podcaster as well people will have listened to that in their ears and things thank you so so writer no i'm just joking <laughs> <laughs> that's just a bit of fun i love it for me <laughs> 
And how have you been over the past couple of years? How's the last year been? Wow, a year is a long time to answer about. I can probably give you this day so far. <laughs> but if you want to low down on the whole of the last year, Michael, we're going to be one of those very long podcasts. <laughs> you were the first person that I know who had both the jabs, though. You, you were well ahead of the curve with that. Oh, yeah, a superhuman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did some volunteering in a vaccine centre from January 2021 that ultimately became without doubt the most selfish thing I've ever done in my life <laughs> the best type of volunteering one which turns directly back to your benefit yeah I am um, I got both jabs before my grandparents which is morally repulsive really absolute moral vortex <laughs> and they're in their 90s there might be some after effects you might be a bit achy you might also experience guilt <laughs> <laughs> Now, lest this become a vaccine podcast, we do actually have a, a formal first question. You're very good at the first question, Mike. Why don't you fire that one out? Jess, we have a question for you, JFOS. Okay. What is your first memory or the first brush with masculinity? Can you remember what that first brush was and what that looked like or felt like or smelt like for you? You've never said smelt like before, well, Michael. yeah, but she's a foodie. Yeah, what did your first brush with masculinity smell like? <laughs> <laughs> Is a really good question, actually. Can't help feeling like a loaded question. <laughs> it's interesting. I think in terms of like earliest childhood idea of, I think, the concept of any sort of gender at all was, and I have obviously like not great memories of this, but enough to know it happened. When I was about five, desperately wanted to be a boy. And I don't, hundred percent know what that was about. I think it's a pretty normal thing to be sort of farting about with when you're five. The best story to do with it is at one point, my parents were ignoring me because it was the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> I um I dug up the whole of my granddad's like really carefully, beautifully looked after vegetable patch. And um, when I was getting absolutely bollocked for it afterwards and mum asked, why did you do that? Apparently I said I was looking for somewhere to grow a willy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Because they, they do do better in certain types of soil, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want too much lime in there. <laughs> I tell you what, Jess, I wish I'd lived in an era of parenting when a kid could be unaccounted for for as long as it takes to dig I up know. a whole garden. <laughs> I know, me too. I wish I could leave my son alone in a wilderness long enough to do that sort of devastation and personal exploration. <laughs> I was, I think, you know, at the time they'd call it a tomboy. I did play with all the toys for all the genders, but I did get really into G.I. Joes and stuff like that. And I, at one point, weeks before the only time as a child I was ever a bridesmaid, sat underneath a desk. My parents were watching telly, just didn't turn around. Again, it was the Again, 80s. it was the 80s. <laughs> I ate, I think, almost an entire box of dairy milk miniatures, which don't exist anymore. Lots of packaging. Used to get like a mouthful of chocolate. Uh, I remember. Yeah, I ate a box of those and cut all my hair off down to just tufts. I wanted oh. to look like a boy at school called Dan. I remember my mum sort of uncontrollably crying, really so big, heavy sobs. So I was really scared, ready to look in the mirror. And I remember looking at it and I... Loved it. <laughs> they had to put like a floral arrangement over my head for the wedding so that <laughs> it didn't look too ridiculous. I think a question that we'd normally ask at this point, and it might be non-answerable because you were too young, but do you, with hindsight, have any idea what you thought you were after by looking like Dan or having a willy, for example? Yeah, I don't know. And I think I, I used to wear like, you'd get like kiddie bikinis and I'd just wear the bottom half of it and tell strangers on the beach that my name was Tom. I was definitely, <laughs> something was going on. You've had so many identities, it's unbelievable. So many names, another name for you, Michael, yeah. <laughs> I look back on it now and say, oh, I just probably was into the stuff Toys-wise, I was into football, you know, I was encouraged into ballet, but I just wanted to play football. Like, I, I wanted to do things that at the, in the 80s were very clearly defined as being things that boys did. And I think I was met with a mixture of incredulous indifference. Like, no one was horrible to me about it, but I was really aware that it wasn't getting me any mates. Mm. I had a terrible time getting in with groups of girl friends until I was in my teens, really. <laughs> I was crap at making friends with girls. Mm. And so I guess I think a part of that was that there might have been an element of trying to be the son I thought my dad wanted. There might have been an element of just fitting in with the boys then because that's just be a boy then because that's so much easier than being a girl. And But for clarity, there's no, you know, I identify very happily and confidently as she, her now. But at the time, I think there was 
Who knows what was going on? Mm. But I obviously already felt some trappings of my gender as perceived already at that age. Did you have boyfriends when you were younger? Yeah. Did you hang around with the boys a bit more? Yeah, I did. Although, you know, I had boy friends, but I definitely wanted to get off with them all as well. Like, I was a big fan of Kiss Chase. Probably played it a bit aggressively. <laughs> yeah. <so>. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, as games go, Kiss Chase was a vehicle for quite a lot of repressed desires. It's fairly obvious now when you look at the rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine the woke brigade won't let them play that anymore. No, it's not a very post-hashtag <laughs> me too game, is it? Kiss Chase is... <laughs> Respectfully chat Chase, maybe. Whereas I very much was playing it with a hashtag me please vibe. Yeah. <laughs> it would now be sort of form mutually satisfactory relationships, Chase. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a longer game. Much longer game. I was the least willing person to play that game ever. Like reluctantly chasing this girl, Teresa, hoping she would escape my grasp. <laughs> you were never cut out for a heterosexual kiss chase, Irina, Michael. However, if it was like a pansexual kiss chase, just everyone kissing everybody, yeah. I'm here for that game. That sounds great. Someone will make that as a TV series soon, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hear me out. Pansexual kiss chase. <laughs> we think we've got James Corden. <laughs> You mentioned you have a son. How old is your son now? Five. So about the same age that you were cutting your hair off and growing willies in the garden. Yeah. Does he do the same thing? No, he's grown his own willy in utero, <laughs> which he's very chuffed with, yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting. I wonder how different the language around him is. 32 years on. I mean, I've done stand-up about it. I wanted this lovely, gentle sweet boy and I got fucking violent toddler (laughs) (laughs) a real thug but you know it's obviously more nuanced the older he gets the more nuanced it gets and he's he's into everything really he loves to dress up across the board and he would happily dress up in something effeminate happily he just wants to be dressed up all the time if he had his way he'd be dressed as an animal or BFG or Marvel hero constantly. Yeah. He's definitely not got the same, like, am I one or am I the other? Um, He's got one best friend that he refers to as his boyfriend. And he does that so casually and flippantly. And he has done for years. Recently, I tried to, he was saying, oh, yeah, I only did that because my boyfriend's mum passed me a biscuit. And I was like, (laughs) just to be clear, like, (laughs) what a boyfriend is, is it's a different thing to a friend. And it's actually, that is a fucking hard conversation to have with a five-year-old because they just don't get it. (laughs) Well, he's like, what's the difference? And I was like, well, like, I suppose if you've got a boyfriend, it means you're more like you want to kiss him and cuddle him. And he was like, I'm not going to kiss him, but I cuddle him and... I don't mind every now and again if I have to hold his hand. (laughs) I can relate. I'm single at the moment. I don't want to do the dating and the kissing and the holding hands. I want to sit silently with a cat in between us on a sofa. That's the goal. So perhaps he's just ahead of his time. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, maybe he is. Well, and this is the worrying bit. I said, when you're older, do puberty and stuff, then you'll maybe have boyfriends and maybe girlfriends. Well, I don't want to have a girlfriend unless you'll do it. Would you be it? And I was like, okay, well, this has got to, yeah, now this is ruined, yeah. There's Greek tragedy about that sort of thing, I believe. (laughs) Jess, you mentioned, you mentioned that he's, I mean, you sort of semi-flippantly called him a violent toddler. Obviously, I've seen you stand up about it. Yeah. But how much, uh, I don't know, pressure is quite the word, but how much responsibility do you feel specifically raising a boy around the area of dissuading him from the sort of toxic masculinity habits which boys pick up so easily i'm asking you partly because i've got a boy myself he's quite a bit older now he's 11 and so you start to see personality traits coalesce much more distinctly and even with him at the age of 11 i'm never sure how much i should be steering him versus letting him develop but we are all aware that there are lots of things about young men that we'd like to encourage and discourage it might be too young for you to be having these conversations with yourself but it interests me i'm sure i've got a whirlwind of stuff to come in terms of I suppose sex and sexuality and consent and stuff as he gets older. But with mm. at the age that my son is now, it's all about um, a physicality. And there is some elements of consent that I'm trying to drill in now. I feel an enormous amount of responsibility. I think when your son's as young as mine is, his behaviour feels like a reflection on your parenting. Yeah. And I feel very connected to how he behaves, not just publicly. Equally, I feel as the years go on, aware of my limitations as a parent yeah you do not have the absolute control that lots of people who are child free assume that parents have you don't get to choose that much about your kid's personality but you can and i do beg him daily to listen be kind and recently is old enough now to explicitly say if someone says stop and someone doesn't want to be touched in any way physically touched you can't carry on doing that 
because he does love to like sort of just jump on your head and give your arm a lick, stuff like that. Ugh. Yeah, I'm still having those consent conversations with mine, who is 11, because like quite yeah. often he will sort of grab his sister quite roughly and play. And mm. I've, I've several times had to say to him, this is only your sister, but it's an important paradigm that if uh, someone is saying, don't do that, don't do that, you definitely have to not do it. And you might as yeah. well get used to that. Now. But as you say, what you said about not being in 100% control is absolutely true. You don't even have ultimately 25% control, I don't think, because a personality is too yeah, nuanced. They can never listen to this, but that is the truth, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We need to seem as if we are basically absolute monarchs, but we're yeah. more like minor cabinet ministers yeah. in their lives in, in the yeah. end. Real backbenchers. Yeah. <laughs> A good demonstration of what you say about how your kid's behaviour appears to reflect on your parenting and yet you're powerless to really shape it that much is that just this week um, I got a phone call from the school and you know how they have those school photographs where the the whole class are there. Uh, My son's class, they've had to pulp the photos and reissue them with a different print because my son was in the front row seeming to flick the v's at the photographer i've seen the photo i think he's unlucky he swears it's unintentional i do think that the parents are overreacting but it's a good example of how that couldn't be further from being a reflection of my personality i was terrified of being in trouble at school i'm terrified of being in trouble now and i I was also (laughs) nine times out of ten be confident i'd say yeah you can't really do that but it doesn't matter what I say. He did do it. And also, I did think yeah. it was quite funny. So what does that teach us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but where does the feeling of kind of parental responsibility come? Obviously, having a child has a certain level of responsibility. But I'm thinking more in terms mm. of like at the school gates. Surely you all know that you're all feeling like that and all having to sort of guide your own children. Do you feel like there's a pressure from other parents to be one certain way? Or I would very quickly say there's a lot of implicit and explicit competition in parenting. There's a lot of one-upmanship. Everyone is in the same boat, but lots of people like to make out their boats are nicer. You've only got to look at Facebook to see that. That's true of every aspect of life, but parenting's a big one. Mm, yeah, 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 100%. I had a really similar thing to yours with the flicking of these, where we've got some new neighbours who've only recently actually moved in but have had what I think was meant to be about a month's worth of work turn into six months of very loud work done to their house. And oh, there have been some bad moments where very loud work's been going on till 11 at night and stuff like this and there we've been too nice about it and then it sort of had to go straight to like you do need to stop lying that you don't know this is happening otherwise we will phone the police it went up to that and then the next time there was a a face-to-face interaction I was outside putting my bins out and the new neighbour was outside and it was civil, but it was tense and it was a conversation that needed to be had. And I was, I'd really steeled myself for it. I was like, I'm going to hold my own. I'm not going to be rude, but we really can't stand for that. It's really not on, etc. Anyway, I was in, you know, minutes into that. And um, yeah, my son just ran out naked into the busy pavement <laughs> and just sort of frolicking on the wall. It just absolutely ruined my status, ruined the points I was trying to make. My neighbour was going, oh my God, what a lad. And I was like, oh God. God, but also really laughing. Like he says, oh, well, this is really funny. You've smashed every tension I was trying to keep to bits. <laughs> We've all wished that we could just run naked into a situation yeah. to stop people taking it so seriously. <laughs> but there is a cut-off age for when you can do that, really. And five-year-olds just exploit the, the moment while they've got it. Yeah. <laughs> you said when you grew up to become a teenager, the things changed slightly, and you did begin to kind of interact with both genders that seemed to be presented at the time. Obviously, envies were there, but perhaps weren't being spoken about as much. What changed that made you feel like you could be more friendly with the other women? I think everybody grew up and everything became a lot less binary, ultimately. Right. Just maturity, I mean, literally growing up, but obviously just to sort of getting more open-minded, I think, in, um, in terms of accepting of other people's difference to some extent, you know. And also there was probably an extent to which I fell more in line with girls by then. You know, well into puberty, I had like long, serious boyfriend relationships from really young. That's just what we did in the countryside. (laughs) And we were all just a little bit more on the same page, you know. Um, And there was a group of girl mates. We all cared about academic stuff, like really cared about it. So geeks, I suppose. But also we all like playing sport. And I don't know, I found a kinship with a group of young women who... I think quite brilliantly, I'm still really close with that group of women. And I grieved for them when I got to uni and realised I wouldn't be seeing them every day. I had not prepared for that. Yeah. And I think that was my first... I had worked my way into other groups of girls during school, younger, about 11, 12, but I was always very low status and I was always very much 
skirting that group, like the token guest friend clown. <laughs> Never the real in the pack until about 16. I do wonder in the arena that my son is growing up in and Jess's, in terms of the difference between groups of boys and girls, I almost like to wonder whether things are shifting away from the traditional binaries so rapidly that maybe in 20 years people won't be having quite these conversations about, I didn't fit with the boys, I didn't fit with the girls. And I think that's very, very Wouldn't that be lovely? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. and I do think that's quite mm. likely. My son's 11 and there still is a definite sense of the boys go here, the girls go here. You can see it in the playground, you can see mm. it in, the, in the, the way they are in the park and stuff. But even in those boysy boys, there is an understanding of the fact that not everybody fits into one or other of these categories, which is a very, very different way of looking at the world from what we grew up in, I think. And like you said, Jess, your son mentioned the word boyfriend, which might not have been in as common parlance around the time you were growing up. Where do you think that comes from? Well, I think in that specific instance, he picked up the word boyfriend from the fact that his boyfriend's mum and I are close friends and from babies were like, please please may they find love so they they got that word directly from us uh hoping to match make them it just makes things so much easier yep just smoosh them together and hope never they... have to meet another parent you're done yeah never have to meet another parent just have this <laughs> but i mean i don't know yeah exactly that language is massive and i would say so far i've found impossible to really explain to a five-year-old you know he's aware that he's got a mum, a dad, and that his mum's in a relationship with another woman who she calls her girlfriend, who he's like, is that a sort of another mum? A lot of pressure on my partner, but also yes, but no, but yes, but no. (laughs) Something like that. You know, where his boundaries lie of understanding the different types of relationships will change, obviously, as he gets older. What's brilliant, I think, is that... My son's school's doing like an open meeting about it today, actually, but they're just bringing in the new relationship and social education stuff for primary school. And that's going to be, I think, amazing just in terms of teaching children nothing to do with sex at primary, like until right near the end of primary school. But it's just about relationships, about what you do and don't accept friendship wise you know all of that stuff i think that's quite um utterly amazing and i'm so happy it's happening Mm. i think it's very progressive as well my son being in year six the final year of junior school has started having these sort of lessons so a few weeks ago i said what did you learn in this lesson he said oh we just talked about how if there's a girl that you like she might try and get you to have a cigarette and you might do it just that she likes you but you shouldn't do that (laughs) i thought well at my school there was very little discussion of the fact that you might socially smoke as a way of getting a girl (laughs) i mean we all knew that was a thing you could do but uh, it was never addressed in the classroom and of course these subjects are intensely embarrassing for the kids in the class but i do think it's definitely progress that things like that are being there's an awful lot of sex stroke puberty stroke body talk at that level of schooling but there's not lots about the emotional and social aspects of growing up and that's got to be a good thing to address surely 100 percent I think in the past it's just been left down to the luck of whether you've got one or two brave teachers prepared to take it any deeper than, you know, a Johnny and a courgette and all that heartbreaking, like hilarious. <laughs> yeah, because we don't want to do it, parents. No, <laughs> we don't want to do we it. We send them to school so they can hopefully come back knowing all this stuff and we don't ever have to have a conversation <laughs> like that. <laughs> I can't get away with it. My son asks about everything <laughs> in graphic detail. So I've just had to lay out the bare bones of everything already. Fine. I don't think we ever had the condom and the banana thing at my school. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's a fabled thing. I feel I've only seen it through other people's... Well, they did it at my school, but only for boys, which is shocking. Oh. Yeah. We had a video. It was a man and a woman who wandered around with massive feathers bigger than their entire bodies and tickled each other on their, like, boobs or their below-stairs bits. Are you sure that wasn't a dream, Michael? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, also, I'm commandeering the phrase below-stairs bits forever oh (laughs) write that one down (laughs) selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. 
Shopify.com slash work. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We mentioned the word media earlier, and often people say, oh, I get my impressions of how men should be or how women should be or how anyone should be from the media. What would you say the media environment is like for a young boy growing up? In terms of the TV that's marketed for my son's age, yeah, it's quite comical. Like, it's quite feisty. A lot of ninjas. Is it? Because I was about to say my assumption was that it wasn't now. Well, no, I would say... Wow. Amazon's a bit better, iPlayer's a bit better, but Netflix, it's either fighting, ninjas, building stuff, rubbly things. Noisy. All of it very noisy, this stuff. So noisy. Or it's like Glitter Force or Polly Pocket. <laughs> so he's as into that, luckily, as he is into the thuggery. <laughs> but um, it's very gendered. It is, but I think that even my son, who's sort of relatively trad masculine in many of his habits mm. it, his his viewing habits are still much i think wider than mine would have been and I, i'd say that you're right that we always talk about uh kids behavior or our behavior being led by media but the opposite is true as well i'd say that even though our kids media is quite sort of gendered and binary the choices that children are actually making are less and less that way because of the environment because of the way we're raising them whatever well literally now they've got parents probably in any of us at least, who if every time my son says, oh, isn't that for girls? Isn't long hair for girls? Isn't something for girls? It's going to be met every single time now by an adult going, no, you don't really get stuff that's for girls and stuff that's for boys. Everything's for everyone. So it depends mm. what you're into. Exactly. Media will have to react to that in the end. Yeah. So it's not all one way, I don't think. I think it is within our power as parents to tell people what stuff to make. For our kids. Yeah. Honestly, that's just changed my worldview a little bit. So I'm just going to have a little think about that for a while. <laughs> you have some quiet time, Michael, yeah. <laughs> uh, we always ask people, Jess, who were the men or male figures or whatever that they looked up to and admired growing up and who shaped their behaviour? But then most of our guests have not been like, women or assigned female at birth or the vast majority uh. of them haven't been, in fact. So I don't know how pertinent the question is in your case, but I think it's interesting still to ask it. Definitely. Well, obviously that boy Dan at school. Yeah, he's the main one. <laughs> It'd be amazing if we tracked him down and it turns out that he styled himself like you these days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, weightlifting. I just want to be Jess Foster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's an interesting one. Definitely my dad, I imagine. A lot of people will say that. My dad is and was a very funny mixture of contradictions about so many things, but in his trad masculinity as well in the sense that he's always been really really into sport and really keen I think to have his kids join him in that mm -hmm. I have a cousin a man cousin who was never into football and he was always suspicious of that you know <laughs> yeah. like a really basic bitch <laughs> I tried to talk to him recently about a weightlifting thing I'm doing soon and he, he was like what and he went fucking weird and cut the conversation off he can't bear it but you know, he's not unkind, <laughs> having said that. Um, and he's not like alpha fighty. He's like a really, really conflict-averse person. And I don't know, like, I think maybe that's me getting older as well. But I, last time I went down, I realised there'd been some teenagers terrorising the block of flats that he lives in. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to have a word. And I'm going to take some pictures and find out who their parents are. You know, I'm going to sort this out. And he was like, oh, right. You know, he was too scared to have a conversation with yeah. him. And that's nothing wrong with that. He is a real mixture. He's a thinker. He's also terrified of emotions, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't great. Yeah. 
lifelong obsession with trying to impress him fruitlessly. <laughs> like a lot of people with their parents, I guess. Yeah, a lot of, certainly a lot of people who ended up being a, any sort of show off for a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is our last card that we can play, basically try and get on the radio or something. Yeah, still won't listen, will they? <laughs> <laughs> no, but at least we can say we've it's tried. Too embarrassing. Yeah, we try. I'm really fucking trying, Dad. What other male influences? I mean, I was into everything my dad was into, so I loved Man United, and I was of an age where that meant loving Eric Cantona and Ryan Giggs. Which the latter of those hasn't aged well as a, as a no, uh, no, but even I know his name. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so Rick Mail, I was obsessed with ever since Drop Dead Fred. Also, I was allowed to watch Bottom way too young, and Alan Rickman. And people like that, they sort of, as I got older, became sort of creepy crushes on much older men. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned weightlifting in there, which I think is really interesting because that's a traditionally male-dominated sport, is the word. I remember seeing your poster for Hench, which is you kind of chalked up and holding a big weights. And it was quite visually arresting because you don't often see women doing that. Obviously, women across the world do, but in mainstream culture, it's seen as a very masculine, macho act to be lifting up heavy things and putting them down again. How did you get into that? Where did that come from? Um, I'd always exercised forever. The older I got into my teens and then until my early 30s, I exercised pretty regularly, but just as punishment for eating or to feel like I deserved to eat or to try and shrink. So I hated it and it was sort of absolutely toxic Mm. and was never able to find any real joy in it. Mm. I noticed that I would do the obligatory sort of agonisingly boring because I hated myself cardio and then I'd fart about on the weights machines and love it and then just before I got pregnant with my son a friend's boyfriend had started lifting quite seriously and invited me to come and unofficially get PT'd by him and um, he taught me quite a bit and I just loved it and then I sort of learned a bit more about I suppose the physiology of it but mainly it was just a case of finding it really doing it properly probably about five years ago now and being like oh I love this I think I found something I love that I would happily go and do because I want to do it not for any other reason just for the sheer Mm. joy of the thing itself for the enjoyment of the moment for the functionality of it and now I've done yeah I did powerlifting for quite a while and not that I knew it was called that and yeah I was about um, to say what does that mean is that different to lifting up weight you lift up power instead like a battery and things (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah, you lift up politicians. <laughs> you wield power like men have done for generations. Yeah, there's it's basically four main lifts, like a deadlift, uh, squat, bench and push press. And then there's a lot of other accessory business you can do with that. I more recently have been moving into the realms of mm. the strongman lifting and also Olympic weightlifting as part of CrossFit. And so I now realise this is huge world that even as an adoring hobbyist I can probably spend the rest of my life seeing what my body can do and I'm it brings me so much joy to a fast type of moving that I can love and it is increasingly you know on the theme of the podcast becoming it's hard to judge because I feel like I'm in a nice safe happy bubble and I'm also in an amazing gym run by young women who own it and run it and they're one of them's an amazing lifter who's Olympic weightlifting in the training for the some massive competition coming up and maybe Tokyo you're like what you know incredible so I'm surrounded by these strong muscular hench women and then I go down to Dorset and try and tell my dad about a strongman competition I'm about to do and get ah oh, fucking weird and you're like oh okay I'm in a bubble <laughs> and actually maybe the world isn't as ready as my tiny little London bubble is to see women walking around strong looking strong it's probably fair to say that there's a world of people addressing and engaging with this kind of uh redrawing of the gender Mm. map which is the world of everyone we've had on this podcast and most of the people (laughs) who listen to it and it's easy to think that that is the world but you don't have to travel very far to be reminded that the society at large doesn't necessarily follow those not yet anyway you know that doesn't mean it won't happen um as a very quick side note jess was it idil sukan who took that photo of you yeah because some people will look up the image it was a celebrated edinburgh poster Incredible. And uh, the photos were done by this um, very gifted photographer. And I like to just credit amazing people sometimes. Yeah, she is extraordinary. And yes, please credit her. Yeah, she's amazing. Actually, in the, I don't know if you're wearing it in the photo, but I have seen you doing lifting things uh, on your Instagram things. You wear like a belt, like, but not where a belt goes, like mid-abdomen. Mm. What's that for? Because I've seen it a lot and I just don't understand is it, like what, what, what it does. So... 
oh god actual sports people are going to be annoyed with me for saying it wrong but as i'm <laughs> it basically helps you brace your core right so if you're going to say you've got a lot of weight on a barbell over the top of your back and you're going to squat down and come back up with it mm. it keeps yeah. everything more stable if you breathe into it so you take a big breath in before you do the scary drop down and come back up you go <gasps> Yeah, and it, and that pushes the air in your diaphragm pushes your tummy out into the and it gives it a wall to push up against. Ah, so it helps I you see. keep that tension for the whole time you're going down and up, and then you can release. I have wondered that for many many years, but never felt confident enough to ask because I felt like it's something I should innately know. Well, also I don't think lots of people know because I think lots of people be like, oh, I'm not going to use a box. Actually, I don't have any back problems. It's like no, no, it's not about. Mm. It's to keep everything aligned and stable, and it just makes you feel a bit safer and stronger. Yeah. So this podcast is about having conversations that people perhaps wanted to but didn't yeah. and sometimes it's things like what does non-binary really mean and sometimes it's what's that on your back <laughs> <laughs> and all questions equally valid in this space um jess here's a this is a question which uh, i mean this question is a bit of a reach from what you were just talking about I, I, and you don't have to talk about it either you should have confidence in the segue no it's just this, this is a slightly more personal question ah it's what podcasts are for well yeah it would be strange not to i think you were talking about how being in a female-led gym is sort of quite a liberating experience and one which again would have been quite hard to imagine a certain number of years ago and a bit of a leap from x to y but you've mentioned already that you're in a relationship with another woman having previously been with a man which is a, a situation i don't think we've had very many guests that can talk about that experience the question basically and you i wouldn't really expect you to speak on behalf of all women <laughs> or all men but because i expect the bottom line is that you're very happy with this person and we're less happy with the other person and that's it really can be as simple as that but are there things about all female relationships which are fundamentally different you know emotionally or are there things you enjoy which you wouldn't have been able to find in a relationship with a man i'm only asking because of only ever known heterosexual relationships and this podcast yeah. is about asking questions beyond the purview of my own experience absolutely no i'm up for being asked that it's so um it's so interesting and it's not you know i've not given it masses of thought because and it is interesting to think about it just neutrally think about it um loads loads more orgasms yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a very valid answer just literally that's not like not all men etc etc but I do think it's sort of with the territory. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main obvious one. Um, no, I mean, I think there's genuinely, genuinely, I would say that along kind of like the lines of the things we associate with genders, the longest heterosexual relationship I'd been in was nine years with the father of my son. And and that wasn't particularly gender normy either. You know, uh, of the two of us, I was the one who drove. I drank more than him. I liked spicier food than him. I was probably stronger than him. He is definitely more patient and calm and gentle and, you know, and drank small, sweet, fruity drinks. And I preferred a pint. Like it's, you know, so I don't, so it's always tickled me that it's taken for me to be with a woman for, you know, a parent to ask, but which one's the man and which one's the woman? And again, it's very blurred in the sense that I think Mm. my, I, I feel quite comfortable if I'm dressing up for something really snazzy in a dress. I quite like that. Like I'm, but I wouldn't describe myself as a hundred percent kind of femme. Like I'm not always in pink. I don't fucking know. I think it's so blurry. I hate the idea of going to a, there are queer nights where I think for women specifically where you go is like the, you know, butch lesbians, which is, again, I've had to learn. It's like, I had no idea. That's a whole movement. That's amazing. But that you either present, completely dressed in man's clothes and the femme lesbians come all like in big glamorous frocks that makes me go oh god I'm something in the middle and I find that really terrifying and I think that's the same in in my relationship with the woman like I think there's things that if you were to go down traditional gender lines I'd be like yep okay well it turns out I now know I'm the partner who couldn't give a fuck about interior design and will go yeah sure just tell me what to do and I'll help you can lead that Mm. I don't know but then Oh, it's really, it's really murky. I don't think, the only literally, the thing that's really hugely physically obvious, there are obvious times where hormones are affecting our behaviour and we're both luckily really self-aware but might have different ways of needing the other partner to behave to get out of the way of that mood or to come in and hug that mood away just literally because of periods. 
Like, and when those worlds collide and the dark days come up at the same time, <laughs> that's a recipe for all hell looming. But I say that, I've been out of some fucking moody boys. So who knows, you know, who knows? Yeah. Yes, it's a mistake yeah. to think that because of periods, women have the monopoly on being hormonal. That's yeah, totally. And or, yeah, or having really extreme moods or very big emotions or any of that. So I believe moody men have existed in, in the past, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've definitely been out with someone. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know how different it is, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's a really good answer. I mean, also the question was unhelpfully, massively broad, but it is interesting. I think the main thing that comes out of your answer is that everything is murky because very few yeah. labels can be reliably attached to groups of people. Like, it's interesting to me that even within those, and I don't know much about the queer community as a wider community everything i know about it almost comes from this podcast from knowing someone like michael but it strikes me quite often that the idea of queerness is a sort of celebration of diversity of multiplicity of you can do whatever you want and yet still there are these nights you talk about where like well do you want a frock on or men's clothes are you are you femme or yeah. not are you this or that even in the yeah. area of the community which prides itself on having ripped up all these labels new labels emerge which shows you how as humans we are desperate to categorize everything in us tells us that we need to be in specific categories even as the world is moving away yeah. from that we yeah. love a label don't we oh yeah yeah I had a conversation with a friend recently and whether this is right or wrong, who knows? And what is right and what is wrong? I was talking a lot about how in the gay male community, there's lots of different tribes and there's lots of different like twink and otters and bears. I was actually explaining to Mark the other day what all these words mean. I had the good fortune to learn the term twink this week. Yes, please. Mark and I had the talk. Um, but you, <laughs> but there's, <laughs> there's oppressions within those tribes within the gay community and predominantly they seem to be pro-masculine, counter-feminine. Mm -hmm. mm. Would you say that they're similar in the gay female community that it's kind of pro-mask counter-femme or it does it not exist in the same way or do you not know that's also a good answer yeah i have to admit ignorance on this i'm absolutely learning as i go mm. like i i fucked up already you know i've been in this world for a couple of years and i've already <laughs> fucked up because just ignorance you know i had no idea of the history of the butch lesbian mm. movement i had no idea of the counterfactions within that i had no idea how upset some bisexual people would be if i identified as pansexual and vice versa about the history there the muddy mess there i i honestly find the entire thing overwhelming yeah. is the neatest way of putting it to the extent where i don't even know what to identify as other than liable to fancy pretty much anyone yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. that makes me sound like very un i i am quite discerning as i've got older and i'm very happily yeah. monogamous as well but like back at pansexual kiss chase wasn't yeah it? right back to pansexual <laughs> me please <laughs> but yeah and that's why we're going to cast you in it jess when it gets off the ground <laughs> yes please <laughs> <sighs> It is a muddy world. I'm aware that it's a really complicated world and I'm aware that there are masculine presenting women who are mistaken for non-binary regularly. There are conflicts, sometimes there are tensions there. I'm aware of that, but I don't feel qualified to speak on that. No, absolutely. Yeah. But I can put you in the direction of people who will be amazing to talk to about that side of things. Please do. That would be fab because I think it's a really fascinating area. Yeah. And I think actually the internal dynamics within the queer community are really fascinating because people kind of assume oh they're this open to everybody they just love everyone they're so inclusive and diverse and that's not always the case i think it's i think it's genuinely fascinating yeah, it's mm. been eye-opening for me mm, for sure should we veer towards the final question mark we veer i in? think we should i'm gonna let you ask this michael and sort of frame it how you would like to well i'm gonna frame it as i normally do because i'm desperate for a sponsorship deal from build a bear workshops so if you imagined you were to walk into uh into a shop instead of build a bear it was build a person and you are building into a person three qualities which would best prepare them for this world which we live in which is murky and all the things that it is what would you build into them to help them and i suppose it's kind of pertinent as a parent as if it's sort of what you're trying to do i guess yeah it's gosh it's really um 
By the way, nearly 30 episodes we've been chasing this Builder Bear sponsorship thing. Now Nothing. I'm almost wondering whether it should play harder <laughs> to get and never mention it again. Yeah, you've accidentally given them 30 adverts for nothing. So why would they ever pay you? I had the same thing happen with several brands of food and drink on my podcast that I've... It got to the point where I was like, I'm, not, I'm never mentioning OD ever again because I talk about them on every fucking episode. Yeah. I wrote to them and said I love them and they sent me a fucking T-shirt. Yeah, maybe it's time to accept that they're not going to backdate 30 payments to us. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay, I'm going to go for the three qualities in my builder person are going to be tolerance. I think it's a nice broad one that kind of assumes a kindness. So I think it covers kindness and compassion, but it's a bit more tangible than kindness and compassion. It feels like an activated version of those things. And it's necessary, I think, to be a good guy. And I mean guy to mean anyone. And it's absolutely the most vital element for any parent. Yeah, Um, certainly agree with that. (laughs) Innovation. Oh, no one said that before. Appropriately. (laughs) I think your person to cope needs to be able to think of new ways out of certain situations or into Mm. new situations. I think I feel more aware than I've ever done that I am always changing and we are always changing. The world is changing. It's such a lick now that you just got to have the sort of mind that wants to keep up with that and isn't terrified, too terrified of change. But also, yeah, I know it doesn't mean you need to rush. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so we've got tolerance, innovation and... Confidence. Yeah. Yeah, if it's tempered by enough tolerance. The world is quite scary, isn't it? So you need a bit of confidence. Yeah. So they link in together. Yeah. Well, this is the, the skill of building a bear is the three hopefully sort of complement each other so that you don't yeah. overload the bear with any... Uh... Tolerant confidence is a nice phrase. Yeah. Hmm. I'll think about that one as well when I'm lying awake at night. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Jess. Would you like to plug anything? Uh, well, obviously your lovely podcast, Hoovering. Yeah, so I've got a podcast called Hoovering that's all about eating that I'd love people to listen to. And I also have a live version of that podcast on the 17th of July at five o'clock in Soho as part of the Underbelly Festival that's happening there this summer. It's all socially distanced and everything. And I've got one special guest being announced soon and one guest already announced is Joe Brand, who's one of my heroes. So Amazing. we will eat together for an hour and talk about eating for an hour. And there's absolutely no doubt in the universe that it will be funny as fuck because it's her. It's a very good podcast. Michael and I have both been on it. Yeah. Oh, it's a wonderful yeah. podcast. I love that That's podcast. Oh, you are lovely. Thanks both for doing it. Yeah, so I'd love people to come to that live show so it's not embarrassing and I haven't asked them um, sort of yeah. my dream guest on and then have to sit there with ten just ten <laughs> people watching really far, far away, socially distanced in a Spiegel tent. Sitting there having dinner with Joe Brand with an yeah. embarrassingly small number of people, yeah. Yeah, just absolutely <laughs> hemorrhaging cash in front of Joe. <laughs> and they all need to be six people I used to work with just coming to see how my career's going. If no one showed up, it would sort of just be a meal with you and Joe. But if about six people yeah. did, that'd be really <laughs> weird and creepy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, on social media and stuff, where how do people find you? At Jessica Foster Q on everything or at the Hoovering Pod for the podcast. That simple. And to get those tickets for that, hopefully not awkward gig in London, how, where do they go for that? If you just Google Hoovering Podcast Live or it's on at the Hoovering Pod social media, it should be in the bio for the Twitter or the Instagram for those. Fabulous. Well, thank Thank you for joining us, Jess. Thank you very much. And we will keep you in mind for our pitch for pansexual kiss chase in the future, for sure. I reckon Channel 5 (laughs) at the very least. (laughs) Thank you, Jess. Thanks for having me. As promised, that was Jess Vostokie. We're doing good at promising the guests that we actually have uh, speaking. Well done, us. And a really wonderful conversation. Like we said before, a really wonderful perspective. And I love the stuff about uh, weightlifting. I think it's fascinating. I want to watch more of that, I think. Well, uh, perhaps we'll have a, a run of weightlifting guests to come. Who knows? <laughs> it's certainly, Jess is someone with a lot to say. And I, I think we've already covered this, but her uh, live work is enormously worth checking out, as is her podcast and everything else she does, basically. Yeah, really good. Hence, one of the best things I've seen in a long time. We've had some lovely messages again, as always, from our social media, which is at Mankind Podcast. Lots of lovely feedback about Lane's episode last week. As a side note, my gran also listened to the Lane episode and called it... What did she call it? She called it enlightening. Enlightening is the word she chose. uh, We're always looking for new adjectives ourselves for uh, (laughs) that sort of thing, so that's lovely to hear. I mean, I suppose Lane Rogers 
if you are listening uh, to this episode having only come to him through us then we're welcome and we're very it's brought us a different audience basically people interested in adult entertainment and your gran yeah absolutely we had a lovely message from mark of antares who said that lane is a real bisexual superhero for him and that he really helped him feel better about his bi pan journey and hearing lane talk candidly about being out and bi and the environment of masculinity in the lgbtq community was really rewarding so that's lovely that's very nice it is we also received uh, another email from down under from a uh, well someone we've heard from before chris the name is and it begins by saying to the one with the biggest kidneys and the one with the least toes which uh, is uh, presumably that means it's impossible for us to decode who comes first because it, you know, well, we could just ask. Yeah, I, I'm sure that we are on par toes wise, unless there's something I don't know about you. Wouldn't no, I same. And my kidneys both both are currently in operation. So mine, I, I don't know what size they are, but they've certainly done a hell of a shift the last twenty years. <laughs> as per my previous email, now this is very polite of Chris because there's really no need to say this. As per my previous email, let me preface this one with, and this is in capitals, ramblings and praise to follow. Please do not feel obliged to read further. I mean. The irony is, this is sort of a fan letter, so we're obviously going to be further, but in 90% of the emails you get in your life, you'd be delighted if it said, please do not uh, feel the need to read the rest of this. And also, any, an email that said, praise to follow, I will certainly be reading more. Exactly. The idea that either of us would just shut the inbox after praise to follow <laughs> is uh, being very generous to our neediness, our residual neediness level. Once again, a delight to tune into your podcast with Lane Rogers this time. It's such a wonderful mix of light-hearted chat with serious undertones, so it never fails to entertain and make me think. The episode with Lane was an interesting insight into two worlds that I'm very very much not familiar with porn and bisexuality so it was really fascinating to hear about his experience this week i was reminded how grateful i should be to people in the lgbtqi plus community for their patience and knowledge and for sharing their experiences with us us being cishet straight folk and cishet means uh, cisgender heterosexual folk uh, we expect so much knowledge, background and justification from LGBTQI plus people about their sexuality and experiences, an additional layer of expectation that we don't have to deal with. Anyway, thanks again for a great podcast. And as usual, I look forward to the next episode. Then he's written, and I've got no real chance of pronouncing I don't know how to say mihi, which I suspect is perhaps a Maori greeting because we think Chris is in New Zealand, but it's, I've taken a real punt there. Mm. Uh, so thank you again. Uh, Chris, thanks to all of our regular and first-time correspondents. We love having emails. And our irregular correspondents, yes. And Chris is looking forward to the next episode. Our next episode is our 30th. We're turning 30 years old. And we have a very special guest, which we're not going to tell you about, actually. It's going to be a little tease for you. Um, it's a lure. But it, we, do, we do have a plan. This is not one of those things where we say, oh, we've got a great <laughs> guest coming up, but we're bluffing. We do know who it is. We do have a great guest coming up. And actually, after our 30th, we're going to be taking a little summer holiday for the month of July. We'll be back with you in August. Um, and during our holiday, we're going to be doing lots of extra records so that we're back on top and ready to go from August for our second season. Second uh, semester, if you will. And we will still be on Patreon, if anything, slightly more during the recess. So we won't have gone anywhere. It's just that we think that, quite knowing who this 30th guest is, that it will be so seismic an episode that both we and you will require several weeks uh, to recover from it. So it's in everyone's interest. <laughs> and so if you would like to see us over on Patreon, we are at patreon.com forward stroke mankind podcast. And... Uh, if you want to email us, it's menkindpodcast at gmail.com. Everything is Menkind Podcast. The Twitter, all of it. Easy. We're easy to find. Well, nice and consistent. We'll see you next week for that seismic, earth-shattering episode. See you then. See you there. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 